Good morning and thanks for joining. We'll get started in just a moment. Hello everyone. As you're logging in, I'm going to say Good morning, good day. This is Leah Freeberg from Fluke Reliability, and thanks for joining us for this best practices webinar. This is our last webinar of 2020, so I want to give an extra thanks for being with us today. You probably know Fluke as a test tools provider, and you may also know that we produce some of the industry's favorite reliability tools, from infrared cameras to vibration meters. But you may not know that many of the measurements that our tools collect now flow automatically into EAM systems of record. It happens via a framework that we call Fluke Connect. Our goal at Fluke Reliability is to better connect asset management data and teams with asset management systems to drive connected knowledge. And of course, that knowledge depends greatly on best practices in condition-based maintenance. So that's why this series of webinars explores reliability maintenance strategies, and that's why we feature speakers from a variety of expert backgrounds. But before the presentation, we have a few housekeeping items to go over. Today's session is being recorded, so the phone lines will be muted to minimize background noise. We will be answering questions both during the presentation and afterward during Q&A. So take a minute now and find the questions tool in the GoToWebinar dashboard. Please feel welcome to submit questions as we go. I will share as many of your questions as time allows for our presenters to answer. If we have unanswered questions at the end, we will follow up with written answers. If you'd like to receive the slides from today's presentation, please let us know during the survey that will appear at the end of today's session. So please don't hang up until the survey appears and you've answered the questions. We're also happy to send you a certificate of attendance after today's webinar. You'll see a question on the survey about getting a certificate. Answer yes and we'll send one to you. A recording of this webinar in full will be available on the Excelix.com website within a day or two. And that is it for housekeeping, so on to the main event. Today, we are very pleased to have with us two CMRPs from Fluke Reliability, Greg Perry and Frederick Bodar. They'll be presenting on why you must rank your assets for criticalness. Greg Perry is a Senior Capacity Assurance Consultant with Fluke Reliability. He is a certified reliability leader with nearly two decades of experience in maintenance and operational best practices. Greg is dedicated to positive client relationships while bringing to the table a broad base of experiences in the, in the areas of MRO and storerooms, world-class maintenance principles, CMS consult consultation, and leadership. In addition to delivering implementation and consultative services to clients, Greg also presents maintenance best practice sessions at leading industry conferences and has authored several online best practices webinars. Greg, thank you very much for being here. Frederick Bodar is lead SME manager for Fluke Reliability, focusing on its reliability and condition monitoring product lines. He has more than 20 years experience in field service engineering work and preventive and predictive maintenance. Frederick has held various field service and technical positions with responsibility for installing and commissioning and senior service management roles. He's in the thermal, he is a thermal and infrared thermography level one certified and has obtained his CMRP certification. Frederick 
holds technical degrees in electrical and instrumentation engineering from Chrome Vince Technical College in Brussels, Belgium. Frederick, thank you for being here. Good morning. Glad to be here. Good morning. Good morning to you. So before we kick off, I have a question that's probably a similar question to everyone listening right now. You are using the term criticalness, or I think as Greg says it, criticalness, instead of asset criticality. So what did you notice in the field that led you to rethink the terminology? That's a good question. Um, really, it's just uh, looking at it more macro. Okay, look at the topic of asset criticality from more holistic approach um, with criticalness um, takes into account all things more than just critical asset. Um, so let's think about inherent reliability when we start thinking about asset criticality. Okay. All right. Well, I don't want to steal your thunder, so let's have you kick it off. Awesome. Thank you, Leah. Um, I hope everybody is uh, having a good day today so far. Everybody's getting ready for the holidays. And uh, yeah, this is the last webinar series, so it's an honor to be able to do it. Um, so today's topic, we chose this one to uh, usher out 2020 um, and, and to usher in 2021 and talk about, I, in my opinion, um, one of the most um, important um, elements, if you will, of, of, uh, of a reliability fabric is uh, asset criticality and understanding asset criticality. And uh, so we decided to go ahead and uh, end the year on this particular topic. So um, in this webinar, we're just gonna um, skim, I guess what you call the tops of the waves. Uh, we're not gonna do any deep dives, but uh, during the, any kind of questions or any kind of Q and A, uh, we'd be more than happy to, to entertain any kind of deep dive that you may have an interest in or get clarification on. So, and uh, we're gonna just start with uh, asset uh, criticalness. We're gonna talk about some definitions and we're gonna work their way through benefits. Uh, where is asset criticality applied? Who uses it? How is it applied? And then we're gonna end with some actual, a uh, couple of practical applications and examples just to get to give you a flavor for what we're talking about. Um, I'm pretty sure that there's going to be um, many of you that are on the uh, call that are no stranger to asset criticality, and then there may be some that are, or maybe you're some that are looking to get a little extra information. So we're going to kick things off with a poll question right off the bat. Can do. So audience, you should see a poll in front of you now. If you are not able to click the answers, then reduce the size of your screen. If you have your screen maxed, it may interfere with being able to click. And the question for you today is what percentage of your assets should be ranked critical based on the risk of the business? Classic question for reliability engineering. What percentage of your assets should be ranked critical based on the risk of the business? And you only get to choose one answer. So is it less than 20%, 20 to 40%, 40 to 80%, or more than 80? So as per usual, there's no wrong answers here, but this is guidance for our presenters um, on your approach to asset criticality or criticalness. Uh, and uh, it will flavor how we go on from here. We have about 72% of the audience now voted. I'm going to close the poll and share the results with everyone. All right, we have 45% of the audience say less than 20%, 30% of the audience say 20 to 
14% of the audience say more than 80%, and 11% say 40 to 80%. All right, Greg, Frederick, what can you say to this? Ah, oh, interesting. Um, I think uh, the audience is, is kind of picking up on this difference between criticalness and criticalness. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, especially with the uh, 20 to 40 percent. Interesting. And, uh, okay. So good, 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 good. Um, yeah, so yeah, there isn't a really correct answer, but there is a best practice answer. So the best practice answer to this one is actually less than 20%. Um, but we are all realists, right? And uh, even though we, we want to try to do less than 20%, uh, that criticalness kind of comes in and, and it's still, we have to deal with it, right? And so it sounds like the audience is already understanding the difference between criticalness and versus criticality with the 20 to 40% voting. Yeah, Very good. All right, so let's uh, let's dive in. Thank you, Leah, for that. Um, interesting results. So just some key terms and definitions, not all exhaustive. This isn't everything. Um, I'm pretty sure that seminar on this call are gonna have their own um, definition book and they have their own library that they've uh, put together. Um, but just for this particular presentation, we're, we're just a couple of keywords here. You know, what is an asset? So when we talk about an asset, um, an asset is something that has potential actual value to organization. Is that something just a mechanical device? Or is that something also resources? Is that something also your um, reliability culture? Okay, think about that something, what is an asset? Um, but in our case, it's often referred to as the physical asset when we start doing an asset criticality analysis. Um, what is reliability? Obviously, it's the probability that an asset or an item will perform its intended function at a specific period during a stated condition. All right, so basically what that means is um, uh, if we look at availability, what is availability? Well, availability is a degree to which a specific operable committable state at the start of a mission. So in other words, is it available? All right, so us in maintenance, we want to maintain high availability for our operations team. Right. We want to make sure the assets are available to be used when the mission is called upon and it, it's random. It could be programmed or it could be random, but we want to make sure availability is there. Um, but then how long the asset performs its stated function during the mission is what we call reliability. Um, what is risk based? So I think uh, when we start talking about asset criticality, we're, um, we, we also have to consider the, the risk-based approach. And that's where we're actually prioritizing resources um, based on what I call the economy of scale, utilizing a risk matrix. Now, what we're doing is we're actually looking at the probability of failure and taking into consideration consequence of failure. Um, so we have to still think of risk-based, okay, as an approach when we're looking at asset criticality versus a classical asset criticality analysis, if you will. Um, you're going to see risk-based be more entwined with ISO 55000 because you remember, and I think the leading question that Leah asked was like, what's the difference criticalness? When we start thinking about asset management and we start thinking about ISO 55000 in that whole holistic realm, that's where I'm still thinking criticalness. 
I still have to take all of this into 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 context. Okay, it's not a one size fits all. It's going to have to be what's the right approach, but we still have to look at this from a holistic point of view. And um, when I say that, it's asset management. When we start ranking our assets, we're starting to understand more about managing assets. All right, and that's where we get a little more granular. So criticalness is more macro, asset criticality a little more granular. So what is criticalness? It's the state of critical urgency. It's an earnest and insistent necessity, applying critical thinking to the equation, but also considering the criticalness, which is the state of being critical of the environment at hand. So think about the operating context. Think about more than just, oh, the machine's down all the time. Our mean time between failure is 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 uh, low. Our mean time repair is out of whack. It's uh, it's it's a it's a bad actor. It, it's just it's always causing us issues and problems. Okay, well, we're going to kind of talk about a little bit in this webinar, understanding the criticalness of the situation versus just asset criticality. Okay, um, so. What is an asset criticality analysis? Really simple. Um, fundamental design making tool to evaluate how asset fails impact organizational performance. It's systematic, it's subjective, um, it's not objective. It's not just based off of gut feeling. It's not based on how um, I feel about the asset today versus how I felt about it yesterday. Um, it is a basis for de determining the exact value and impact which the asset has on production operations. So, and it also helps us understand and develop better uh, reliability strategy development and strategies and plans for asset management. Okay, so it is a tool that we use and it's designed to rank and prioritize. It's also used to identify most critical assets according to their criticalness and unmask operational risk. And so what we want to do is we want to make sure that we understand the value proposition from a risk perspective of the asset. We also have to take into consideration more of the inherent reliability aspect. And what we mean by inherent reliability, we're talking about was it designed for reliability? Was it commissioned for reliability? Was it installed for reliability? Was a supply chain for reliability? And then we also have to look at our proactive maintenance strategies. Are they deployed? Are they deployed well? Are they practiced? Are they understood? We also need to make sure we look at our precision maintenance activities. Okay. So if just because we took a hit on the inherent reliability side doesn't often mean that the asset's really truly critical. Unfortunately, somehow that's what seems to happen is because we're not focusing on the right things, we're automatically labeling the asset as critical in the inherent availability realm, which is the PF curve realm. And so be thinking about are we doing all the right things? So when we do an asset criticality analysis, it gives you the ability, and we're actually going to show you just one example of one, there are many, and where you can actually take ownership of each of those operational domains, each one of those inherent reliability domains, and actually rank the asset from the purview of how we actually are operating the asset. Okay, so yes, if you if you installed a lemon, it's probably going to be highly critical. Um, but then again, look at the operating context of the asset. Are there backup lemons? Is there a bypass to another lemon? Is there is this something that we can actually just run to fail? Is this a run to failure limit? 
then we can live with it. Okay. But let's don't wrap emotions around the decision-making process when it comes to actually ranking NASA criticality. Let's actually do this a little more objective, less subjective. Okay. So what are the benefits of the asset criticality right off the bat setting of priorities? We have limited resources within our organization. Not everybody comes to work with uh, their calendar clean that they can just go in here and start devoting 100% of everybody's time to 100% of all the assets. So imagine if we went in there and said, well, what asset do you think you want to work on today? Subjectively? Well, I'm going to work on Mr. Bad Actor over there. Okay, ask the next technician, which one? The next technician, the next reliability engineer, the next planner scheduler, the next plant manager, the next maintenance manager. Who, 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 what are you going to be working on? Well, we're, we're just going to go and look at bad actors. When you start thinking in that perspective, then everybody is a firefighter. Everybody is now going to be reactive, and we're always in a reactive world. What are our most important assets that we need to be making sure that we understand this criticalness, and we can also go in there and bring value back to the organization? Okay, so we also need to be looking at it from a capacity assurance perspective. Proper maintenance ensures capacity of an asset can be realized at design state, design level. We also need to be taking into consideration proper maintenance adds value, appropriated maintenance strategies. Okay. We also need to realize that we prioritize our improvement activities. So what are our continuous improvement projects and how are we going to do them first, second, third, fourth? What ranking, how are we going to do these things in? What order are we going to do them in? What's going to get the most resources, second set, third set, fourth set? What are we going to actually put a lot of our eggs in the basket with? Okay, which ones are deserving of it? Which ones can we actually move the needle on? Do we know that or are we still continuing to just go by gut feeling, right? Um, and it's dynamic and prioritized based on asset hierarchy and maintenance repair. So delivering the greatest value to organization compared to expense cost. So basically what I'm saying here is, is why, why are we justifying um, chasing a dime with a dollar? Is there a reason for this? Is there something that we can um focus a little more on 20 percent. think of that okay we want to go in and actually be proactive on the 80 percent of what we do we only want to be reactive 20 percent just a classic um pareto when it comes to uh, maintenance reliability asset management so asset criticality analysis will bring us some of these benefits and make us help us realize some of these benefits um because we want to be uh, moving the needle, so to speak. This is more of a trim tab effect. Um, I know it's been said several times um, to me in the course of my career, and I've heard it, and, and I'm, out, I'm a firm believer on it. If, say, you want to actually develop new maintenance strategies, or you want to understand which maintenance strategies really is best for this asset, say you're looking at condition-based maintenance, okay? Say you want to actually go and look and do um, some higher tools and you want to go and look at from an RCM perspective or failure mode effect uh, process um, point of view, um, which assets are you going to actually run through an RCM program? Which assets are you going to run through just a failure mode and effect um, approach or PM optimization approach? Okay, so which ones are going to be worthy of your time? Okay, so when we actually are looking at this again, top 20% of organizational assets in order to determine optimal maintenance strategy, but first perform failure mode or condition-based maintenance optimization and asset health. How did I get to that? I got to do a criticality. I got to know what that looks like. I can't 
continue to just go off of subjective gut feeling um, only because all that does is maintain you in a reactive world. Okay, you're going to be held prisoner to it. So asset criticality is probably the first thing an organization needs to do on the road to reliability, hands down. Okay, we need to make sure that we understand the criticalness of our assets, but understand also our operational context that lends to the criticalness of the asset. So an asset criticality all of a sudden brings all this information to uh, to bear. It's 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 upfront. It's exposed. It's transparent. Okay, so where is an asset criticality analysis applied across the board, and and it's actually applied upfront at the beginning of your journey. Now, if you're already on your journey and you haven't done an ACA, pause. Let's do one. Okay. Let's understand where our assets are in a criticalness point of view. So, if you haven't done one yet, say you're new to this, you haven't done an asset criticality, full blown analysis yet. Well, I'm going to recommend you do a criticalness ranking. Okay. And a lot of my clients, I actually, this is my first piece of homework that I give them. And I want them to actually rank their asset registry by definition, okay? So really simple, let's just start out with tier one assets. Let's give it a definition. And in this case, and actually to the audience, feel free to adopt this if you'd like and apply it. Failure results in immediate impact to shutdown of multiple operation systems. Failure will prevent capacity assurance due to operational environmental quality issues. Equipment assigned this cursory criticality ranking typically will have no redundancy and identified issues must be addressed immediately to complete scheduled production targets and goals. So I challenge you, if you haven't done an asset criticality analysis, start here, go and look at your asset registry and see where these assets fall in. Are they a tier one, tier two, where basically it may limit capacity insurance. It's a little bit different. Um, they may have some bypass, may have some kind of, uh, it's not a, a single point of failure. All right, or is it a tier three or is it a tier four where there's no immediate impact on capacity assurance whatsoever? So we gotta also remember um, and try to keep in mind the difference between potential failure and functional failure when you're thinking of this, okay? If, uh, if a potential failure has a high impact or is it a functional failure that has a high impact? Where are you, okay? Hey Greg, so right now, we, have a, yes. we have a question coming in. Cool. On the, on these tiers that we see here, how different is this? Uh, how is this criticalness versus asset criticality? Are these the same tiers and same logic that you would see for asset criticality, or is there extra context here that you've worked in for criticalness? Aha, yes. So this is not an analysis. The analysis okay. has extra criteria. Okay. Yep, that's when you're going to do a deeper dive. Okay, so we're looking at criticalness here. Just overall, okay. how does it impact the organization? Okay, um, how does it impact production? Just, just kind of high level, macro level. Um, when we actually get into an asset criticality analysis tool section, then, then you're going to be looking at actually getting a little more granular, a lot more granular. Um, you're actually going to find, and that's a good question actually, and, and we, we can rank these according to criticalness but then we find that, wow, we ranked the tier two asset. But when we did the asset criticality analysis, it actually came out more critical than some of the assets that we put in tier one. 
Yeah, and that's why we, we actually started digging down. We started peeling back the layers of the onion. We started getting to what matters. Um, it's it's an interesting concept. Now, one of the reasons why is, is we're trying to uh, understand operational context and the reason why you might have one asset that would rank higher in criticality than the other might be due to the operational context. It changed, which would make it either lower or higher. So it's a good question. So speaking of which, here's an actual example of one asset criticality analysis tool. There's many, I've got three or four in my toolbox. And this is probably um, a little bit more, not so much on the complicated side, I would say it's probably middle tier. Um, I've got one that's actually easier than this and more simple. And then I've got one that's, it's you gotta be a rocket scientist to understand it. Um, but you also have to apply the right tool in the right environment. And there makes no sense in a, let's say a facilities management role that I'm gonna be using a criticality tool that's uh, you have to be a rocket scientist to try to figure out and fill out. Um, it's, it's, it's way too granular. Scale it back, choose the right asset criticality tool that fits the mold, fits your organization, fits the purpose, fits what you do. Now, if I'm a chemical plant, I'm probably going to want to go to a little bit more higher echelon of, of a uh, criticality analysis tool. Uh, if I'm pharmaceutical, I'm definitely, if I'm food and beverage, okay, but if I'm making or I'm a distribution center and I'm not really making product, I probably don't need to go that granular, okay? And I think uh, what happens out there is a lot of people don't do asset criticality analysis because they think it's complicated and it's just too much. And um, we got to realize there are a lot of tools out there to choose from. I know air fluke reliability, like I said, we have, um, I have three, possibly four, and Frederick has one himself that um, is different than my toolbox, but that it's more fit for purpose to help you understand, and it's better to use, <clears throat> not, not uh, difficult. In this case, what we're looking at is actually going and doing a little bit more of a granular look at um, the assets effect on production output. Now, you see the definitions and you see the factor score. You own these. Just like you own the criticalness ranking definition fit for purpose, you actually own the inclusions that are found in each one of these factors. <clears throat> so you as an organization can go and actually add to this, give it a weighted score, change it, or eliminate it. It's up to you. But you need to take ownership of this criticality tool don't just take it out of the box and apply it and go, okay, that was it. You need to actually adopt this and then adapt and it's fit for purpose. So you may end up having one organization down the road that would have a few more inclusions in each one of these factors than you, okay? Again, this is the criticalness and understanding the environment. This is overall, I'm talking more bringing in more of a risk-based, more of an organizational approach, more of an asset management approach. You might even want to add in a different factor group, okay? You can do that. But the whole idea here is to try to get this to be as objective to the organization as possible across all boards, not just maintenance, not just production, not just the business office up front. No, overall, from sweeper to CEO, we need to actually be ranking these asset criticalities based on that. And that's, again, the concept of criticalness. We have a follow-up question, if you can go back. 
sure. one slide. Yep. Is there value at looking at performing this analysis at the system level before drilling down to the asset level? Well, I'm going to I'm going to kind of look at are you writing let's let's just put the rubber of the road is. Are you only going to be writing work orders at the system level? Are you only going to be planning jobs at the system level? Because remember, the asset criticality is also going to have a lot to do with resource planning. It's going to be understanding which am I, what asset am I working on first, second, third, fourth. So if you're always just writing a work order to the system level, yes, it's fine. Then, then be at the system level. But if we were to follow, let's say, ISO 14224, where we're actually looking at reliability data, RM data, we'll see that we actually want to write the work order and record the information at the at the actual asset level. I, th I think the questioner agrees with you. I think they're asking, is it a both? Do you want to do the system level before going to the asset level? Mm, I don't see a benefit of doing it at the system level and doing the dip dive. If you want to identify systems, why don't we go back and actually identify systems at the criticalness level first, and then actually go in there and start doing the criticality on the assets that belong to the system. Okay, I think that I think that gets to it. So is there a system level aspect to the criticalness thinking? Yes. Okay. Thanks. Perfect. Great question. So of the viewship out there, this is an interesting um depiction, if you will. It it it's uh it's 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 more to just kind of draw conversation and, and to be thinking, but has anybody ever thought to take the output of their asset criticality analysis and overlay it to the PF curve and see how things lay out? Ever thought to do that? Um, I did, and I did it, and here it is. I've been using this for quite a number of years now. It's just, just a conversation piece to get started. So when we say 20%, 20% of what? 20% of our assets should be ranked critical all right okay does that mean the other 80 percent can't be ranked critical that's not what that means it's what 20 percent are we going to be focusing on to move the needle what 20 percent are we going to be focusing 80 percent of our resources on okay from a Pareto perspective so when we actually lay out after doing asset criticality analysis and I say wow there is a small number of assets that actually probably would benefit from a full-blown RCM approach not everything. We're not going to apply RCM across the board. We don't have the time. We don't have the money. We don't have the resources. You're not going to do it. It's not, it's not viable. So, but what assets, based on the asset criticality analysis, can we apply full-blown RCM approach? What's the next best approach? Maybe just regular failure mode and effect analysis approach, or root cause failure analysis approach, or maybe the next one is just failure mode mapping, traditional PMs. That's where we're actually writing tasks that are mapped to the failure modes and they're time-based, okay, or, or interval-based rather, let's say that. And then what's the next set of assets? Well, we're looking at operator-driven reliability as an approach. Are we looking at where we can actually uh, assign a good number of our resources to focus on those assets from that particular maintenance strategy? And of course, run to failure. 
what assets actually can qualify to be given the maintenance strategy of run to failure. Okay. Um, it's very interesting how we start laying this out and we go, well, which ones are we going after first? Which ones are we going after second? Which ones are we going after third? Have you ever done it? It's interesting. Again, this isn't um, anything beyond just interesting, but uh, do it. See what you got. See how it laid out. You, you'll be, you, I think you'll be presently surprised to, to find that uh, you're spending a lot of time working in the wrong maintenance strategy realm on an asset after you've done the criticality analysis. So again, what we're looking at from how is it applied and by whom, remember it's a weighted score and we're, we wanna go in and make sure those categories are represented well. Remember, you can add to these categories. You can change the inclusions of the categories and you can change the weighted factor or scoring for each one fit for purpose. But from a default, if you wanna get started, create your categories of operational severity, safety severity, environmental severity, single point of failure. That's a key inclusion, okay? So if your asset is actually a single point of failure, especially within that system we were talking about a minute ago, if we have an asset in there that's a single point of failure and that becomes a high critical asset, does it make the system critical as well? Or is this actually identify scenarios where we might can deploy the right maintenance strategy, condition-based maintenance, or where we can actually try to design out maintenance to make, so make sure it's not a single point of failure? What opportunities do we have? Where do we start with those opportunities? Maintainability, we got to keep that in mind. And of course, overall reliability and also MROs in part of this. So spare lead time. If we have a spare part that's going to take us six months to get and what, what actual spares are critical. So how do you know critical spares? How did you identify them? Do we have a critical asset? and then look at the lead time, can we get the spare? Just mind you, just because it's a critical asset doesn't mean that you have critical spares automatically, all right? Some of those spares, you have no problem with procuring. You don't only have small lead times or you can keep them in stock readily or you have ready, ready access to them. They have a vendor managed inventory. You may have point of use. You may have consignment. You might have whatever MRO strategy you went with to maintain that critical spare, make sure that it's on hand. But not everything in your storeroom can be critical. Remember, we don't want to go down this bad rabbit hole of actually stocking a plant within a plant. All right. And we usually do that because we're subjective and we're doing that from a gut. We're going, wow, we have to go in there and stock all these parts. Well, do you really? Let's start looking at the actual inclusion within when we're ranking this asset criticality with a MRO inclusion like spare lead time. And this is not all inclusive. You can add more categories to this and actually create your own inclusions and rank them and score them um, fit for your organization, fit for your culture, fit for what you can do and what you can digest. Okay. This is your journey. So we have another question, another poll question, Leah. Yes, we do. Now that you've given us a lot to think about, we're going to test the thinking here. Hopefully, audience, you can see this poll in front of you. Remember to minimize your screen if you need to, to be able to answer the questions. So having just heard Greg's message on how this is situational, where and how would you benefit most 
from performing an ACA, an asset criticality analysis? Would it be to better align with your maintenance strategy? Would it be to provide the ability to escape from re reactive maintenance? Would it be to improve your work execution? Or is your ACA already completed and being used for daily work? So where and how would you benefit most from performing an ACA? I'd like to get at least half the audience to weigh in here, as this again will help us with the second half of our presentation today. Where and how would you benefit most from doing an ACA? Is it about aligning your maintenance strategy? Is it about reducing the amount of reduce, reactive maintenance, improving your work execution? All right, I'm going to close this poll in about five seconds and share the answers. Okay, so we have 52% of the audience saying that an ACA would help better align with the maintenance strategy that they need. 33% say it would provide the ability to escape from reactive maintenance. 10% say it'll improve work execution and 4% say it's already completed. So how does that shape? with uh, your advice, Greg and Frederick. Um, well, I'm gonna go first and then I, I want Frederick to, to chime in on this one. Um, and it, it's it's interesting, so 4% have already completed and using yes. for daily work. That, that's, mm -hmm. a low, that's a low percentage, um, mm -hmm. but that's what Opportunity. we see. Opportunity. Mm -hmm. Exactly, and, and that's what we see. Okay, so um, I, I guess um, if you look at it from the WIFM perspective, you know, what's in it for me? Um, start looking at it from that perspective. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, the better alignment with maintenance strategies, 52% spot on. Providability to escape from reactive maintenance, 32% spot on. And improved work, work execution. I actually was, was hoping that would be a little higher um, from a planning and scheduling perspective. Um, but um, did make people choose. Yep, I did. I did. And so I guess if you would be thinking about uh, improving work, work execution is actually is intrinsically going to go go up um, mm -hmm. if you can escape from reactive maintenance and also intrinsically even more if you have a better alignment maintenance strategy. So Frederick, comment? I think this is a good result. Yes, I would agree with what you say. I think then I would have, um, because we had, we made people uh, select one answers. Um, I, I had anticipated it would be probably closer to better alignment and already and um, and the lowest one would be already completed. But again, this is a situation where we ask a question where you can easily have um, divide us, pick all four answers and divide us in percentage among yourself as well. But mm -hmm. um, I agree, and I, and I think also. Um, what's important and why we bring that question while we ask is that this is actually uh, what we see almost on a daily basis, uh, regardless of the type of technology or the type of uh, reliability uh, strategy we discuss with our customers. So we're very much in line with, uh, well, we think that we're very much in line with whatever the customers in today's world is actually thinking about asset criticality. Okay. Well, why don't you guys take it from here? So, um, thanks, Greg, for the for for all the the great 
presentation that you provided. What I wanted to do here for the next uh, couple of slides is um, really look about a few practical applications. Um, it is it is really easy to actually have the theoretical to look at it, but in reality, when you talk about the plant, the facility, or the type of customers, how does that truly apply? What customers are actually talking about and seeing and doing? Um, and so I thought then, uh, Greg and I thought then uh, it would be great if we show you two or three examples that we have seen uh, within with the, with our customers. Uh, one of the actually most important, what I always try to uh, present is that it is great that we create and we um, we um, we release product, but often uh, more than ever is that if we don't can apply some of those techniques, process, uh, training, and the proper technology, even within our own um, company, I think we will be doing this a disservice. And it just so happened then. Um, what we call Fluke Park, which is essentially the headquarters of Fluke in uh, Seattle, Washington, um, Everett, Washington, is that um, we actually work closely with the maintenance team. Um, they have the ability, obviously, to have a number of tools and technology at their, at their fingertips. And so what we did about two years ago, we approached uh, the maintenance manager, Charlie John, and we started working with them. It was coincidental with the release of the, um, the, the, the low-cost wireless vibration sensor. Um, and then we start looking at, um, hey, now that we have a number of technology that can be used for, to, maintaining, to maintain the number of assets you have, what have you done in terms of looking at all your assets? Which one do you know they are critical and uncritical? And what was so important is that there was multiple reasons. The, the first factor is that um, um, there was a small team. And so the small team had a limited amount of time. And it's not just obviously his team is not just responsible for maintaining the equipment, but anything that goes within that building, which can be quite crazy, especially if you have multiple uh, presentation, multiple large meeting, they have to take care of this. The number two aspect is they have multiple buildings. And I think that that was uh, a key factor is that the Fluke Park is one building, but we have another two manufacturing sites nearby, which they're also responsible. Um, and number three is that they had seen um, recently um, an increased amount of uh, failure, um, which were difficult to identify. And so um, along with this, what we're trying to do is that we're trying to, number one, educate them. Um, number two, work with them closely to really just try to remove from the reactive aspect that they were. Um, and number three, to really identify the, um, the asset that were critical. And it was very interesting talking to the demanders manager because when we approached him, uh, we did the very first list with him um, we he had he had a thought in his mind which asset, the top ten or top top twenty, ended up being um, the um, the critical one. And by the time we finished the exercise, only half of those were truly critical from a multiple factor. Um, and even him was surprised. Um, and so once we did this, we ranked them, 
and then we actually uh, including this on the uh, is uh, essentially is PM structure if you wanted to. Uh, and the idea was to understand where to apply this, also what technology to apply. Um, since it has the ability to have essentially almost all the technology that we can offer, it has a wide variation. But that does not mean that number one is team is ready with the training. Um, and that doesn't mean that they have additional time that they can spend on this. So we had to negotiate a little bit. And so, so far, um, that in combination also with adding a CMMS has really opened his eyes. And the thing that we've realized since 2018, <clears throat> minus obviously the last eight or nine months with, with the COVID, is that it's a living document. And so it is, it is something that you can do initially, but really um, it's almost, you almost want to review this uh, every year or every 18 months to see if you have additional asset, asset that you remove. Uh, there may be a new area with new asset that is there. Um, there may be a new PM structure than you have for some of those. And so it is not something then, at least from my experience, then you want to do once and then leave it and never do it again. You want to be able to go back to it and say, are we doing the right thing? Are we still having the same asset who are critical? And so in that aspect, it really helps uh, with the overall reliability strategy that you will have. The second example is, is actually, um, it was an interesting one. It was a food manufacturing uh, facility in the Midwest. And essentially, um, they have a number of, of assets. Um, I want to say it was roughly about 2,000. Small plant, but about lots of small assets. Gearbox, conveyors, motor, valve pumps, I mean, you name it. And um, well, what's really interesting is that we have, uh, when we uh, sat down with a customer and did a site assessment from a reliability perspective, we quickly realized that um, this customer actually had their story together. So they, there was a lot of things that we're doing uh, uh, very nicely, very organized. It's a smaller plant, so they had a little more uh, the ability to do this versus a, a larger plant like a motor, motor manufacturing. But anyway, um, when we look at it, they knew a lot about their assets right off the bat. But the entire knowledge was essentially in the brain of a few people, uh, which is great. But if any of these people would happen to leave, move to a different role, different job, they may not have that knowledge they would have on the assets. So that was one other thing. And the other things that um, uh, it was really interesting is that what well, we noticed that they actually had already um, a pretty well-established um, tracking for OE, overall equipment effectiveness, on their productions. And it was based on each of the lines. And so they were tracking all the uptime, the downtime, what was affecting them. But what was really interesting is that they have either never thought or did not have the time to actually do a formal ACA. Um, and so that was we were a little taken back because um, we initially thought if this was so well organized, why is one of the core foundational uh, from reliability um, architecture, if you want, um, the ACA ha has not been done or what they haven't even thought about the exercise. And what was really, really interesting is the exact same day that we were doing the site assessment, 
we actually um, did a, a plant tour. And during the plant tour, literally out of nowhere, half it doesn't happen very often, there was actually an emergency. They had actually a valve who actually failed on either a water or chemical tank. Um, and what was happening is that the valve would not open or would not close. I can't remember exactly. But because of that particular failure at that time, he actually stopped an entire line for productions. Um, and so, um, and it was very interesting listening to them, how they went about. Um, and you come to find out then, they knew already uh, that that was happening. It was during the summer. And apparently every summer during the month of June or July or August, they have had for the last two years, the same problem with the same type of valve. And what was really interesting is that even so they knew about it, they um, didn't, didn't necessarily have the part on hand, nor did they actually have the procedure on how to alleviate the potential failure the previous year. Um, and obviously it calls out to what Greg mentioned and um, how is it one of the, the key factors, the single point of failure. Um, and this is why after we saw this, it, it, it was clearly, it was begging for, for them to do an asset criticality assessment of, of all the assets uh, in a facility and to try to say, where are my point of failure? Where are my issues from an environmental perspective from productions? Um, there was another motor that I remember part of the production, fairly large motor, 75 to 100 horsepower uh, was really a key factor. That was also another point of failure that we noticed because I simply asked them, if that motor just happened to not running, he said, well, we have 25% of the production who is down. And although they did a very good job from a PM aspect, they even have a third party company who would come and double check their motor from a vibration perspective. There was no um, live monitoring on that motor to find out what was happening in terms of the vibration or temperature or pressure at any point. And so if that motor happens to die, it, there will be a problem. And on top of that being, they was very expensive. They did not have one on hand. So again, it goes back to tell you then, even if you can do a lot of things really, really well, if you can miss some of the beginning, that can really affect how you approach your strategy and really can have a difference of alignment. And the last one is uh, is uh, uh, one of our customers, the wastewater treatment plant uh, on the West Coast. Um, I believe it's in Oregon and Washington. And essentially, it, it's for me, it's kind of a, the typical customers that we see almost on a daily basis. We see often. Um, they have a number of assets from pumps, separator, motors, digesters, um, you name it. And um, they, they have heard about asset criticality assessment. Um, they even sometimes attend webinars or see it, take some training, but they have never actually truly applied this. Um, it is definitely on their roadmap, meaning on their roadmap of process to make the changes. Um, they are fairly reactive customers, which is um, almost run to fail because they're running ragged very often on this. And so the, uh, the approach was, they were starting to get into have uh, more uh, uh, CBM technology. And so we explained to them and said, look, this is great to have the technology. 
you want to do this you want to remove from being reactive to be more uh, pro uh, proactive um, and preventive this is good but at the end of the day you've got to start to understand where all your assets are potentially giving you issue and which one are the critical then you need to spend um, 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 80 percent of your time and so in that approach uh, it was just the thinking and there was a click within within the team and say yes we need to do this and so even this year we continue to talk about again COVID situation really has prevented us to work closely with them but I'm pretty sure in 2021 they'll be ready to start back up and it is a common themes that we see around a lot of customers where they really have been thinking about it they really want to do it and often they just simply don't know how to do it um and having the ability to you know to kind of guide them i, I wouldn't say hold their hands but really guide them and provide some some knowledge around that um it has a true value um than than any companies can do and i would say it doesn't start with an uh, oam um like us but we can help it starts internally just having the right people in the same room start talking about it and figure it out i think that is probably the biggest barrier uh, or the most difficult asset of a asset criticality assessment is that do we have the right stakeholder in the room in order to speak the same language and in order to provide the knowledge that we need but it is amazing that when you bring the right people in the room either four people or 15 the the type of discussion and the knowledge that you can find fairly quickly is actually tremendous and i think greg by his experience will tell you exactly the same thing then we have seen some really really good sessions where customers start to get really involved and they actually want to have the answer and they enjoy this. Um, and I would say uh, along with seeing the SI customer, my colleague, John Burnett and I have done a few, uh, a few workshop session at various conferences. We saw the exact same things where initially we had customers who were telling us, attendees were telling us, yeah, we have done this before and we put them in a group where people had not done and just sharing the knowledge that they had from the people who had done this versus people who didn't was really tremendous to see this throughout the day during the workshop they were sharing all the best practice and how to do what not to do how to rank what's important what's not and that was really really an advantage so uh, something to think about it in the from a practical approach and um, there's no right or wrong reason is that the idea is if you haven't done it start thinking about it and if you've done it how can you improve it Well, that's perfect timing because we do have a question related to what you were just saying, Frederick. Um, for people who have ACA in the roadmap but just haven't gotten it done, to clarify, it sounds like your recommendation to, to move it from the list to action. Your first recommendation is to collect the right people in the room. Sounds like you also might recommend bringing in a third party. What else do you recommend to move people out of the list to the action mode to getting the ACA done? So you're right. Um, 
bringing the right the, the right stakeholder within an organization, I think that's the most important. If they have the ability or if they have the need to have a, a third party to kind of either moderate or help them or kind of guide them, even better. Um, I don't necessarily think it's it's uh, it's a necessity depending on the customers and uh, their knowledge. I think there's a lot of uh, tools around. Um, well, I mean tools, process, or information that you can find that will help you to do this. Um, in order to move away is that um, one of the things that we talked a lot about it uh, in reliability is to start small and grow from there. And there's a lot to say about this is that when you start a project or review like the ACA, the Asset Criticality Assessment, is that you may have 10,000 assets um, and trying to do an AC around 10,000 assets is going to be a tremendous amount of work because there is going to be a discussion about parts, about a cost, about uh, uh, preventive maintenance, about um, how do we do this, best practices. So you want to be able to tackle this either by area, by buildings, um, by um, groups of type of assets. So there's a number of ways. And you want to kind of lay the land and say, um, we're going to do this maybe by building. That's an example right there. This is exactly what we've done at the Flip Park, where we say, look, we can't have all three buildings at the same time. We have to focus on one building at a time. What's the, what's the asset type? What's the PM structure we're going to approach? And then once we have established that base and we see some success, we can replicate this with the other building that we had within our facility. We're in the process to do that. Yep. What about if there's resistance in the organization? How do you get buy-in, especially if a team is in reactive mode, nobody enjoys it, but there's still reluctance to do an ACA? You know, it's a good question. Um, it, it goes back to a little bit what I was saying is that um, you have to have a, a, an open mind. I think that's what we have seen by bringing the various team together, there, there's, there's a, a want because time is precious, but there's a want for them to have a certain outcome of this. And so having people from procurement, from engineering, from operation and maintenance, it's a lot of their times, but they try to open up. Uh, we don't necessarily have the leadership. You don't, you don't have at the beginning, you have to have the leadership buying, but the outcome should be, this is what we're going to change um, in order to improve. You have to let go a little bit of that. Well, we have already done this this way. We don't know exactly how to change. And that's part of the, the culture aspect, which is difficult. And we run to the, the exact same problem within our own organization, where initially we had technicians say, well, I don't want to learn a new I don't want to get a new training on the new tools. Um, and we said, let us help you, let us guide you, make it straightforward and easy for you to, to learn this. And you will see there's a benefit for you to actually have this I'll be part of your PM. So leading with benefits will help. Yes, I would say leading with benefits among, <laughs> among other aspects, yes. We are almost out of time, but audience, you can write in more questions and we'll follow up with you afterward. One of those questions uh, that 
um, I just want a, a yes or no for is uh, about getting the ACA templates. Greg, I know you had one in the slide deck. Where do you recommend people go to get more ACA templates? Sorry, that's not a yes or no, but short answer. <laughs> uh, well, probably where I got mine, right? Um, it's go to Google. They're they're out there, but I can <laughs> I can tell you, um, you need to understand the tool, right? I mean, yeah, you need to know what you're getting into. Um, educate yourself a little more. Um, I think when we talk about the third party and we talk about that subject matter expert and being a partner on the journey, that's who you're going to want to reach out to. Um, I created uh, my different asset criticality analysis tools based on um, what I call my farmer's um, insurance quote. It's uh, know a thing or two because I've seen a thing or two. And so therefore, just from experience and in, in, in seeing what works, what doesn't work, um, seek out um, plenty of uh, reliability partners out there um, uh, and, uh, and seek their advice. So that's exactly who we are. We're fluke reliability, more than happy to to um, engage in conversation with anybody that would like to have examples or... or, or Indeed. Okay. Steps. And if people want more information about your services, they can email you directly using the email addresses on screen, correct? Absolutely. Highly okay. encourage you. Yes. I have to have you forward to the next slide because we're just about out of time. So folks, please don't close out yet. I have a couple more things for you. After the new year, January 6th, we have a great kickoff session, The Rise of the Connected Worker, Implications for Maintenance and Operations in 2020. As Greg said, this is very much uh, what's in it for me. Uh, Keith Larson and Ankush Malhotra are heavy hitters. Ankush leads the reliability business for Fluke Corporation, and Keith is editor-in-chief at Control Magazine and Smart Industry. So both of them have their finger on the manufacturing pulse. And this will be a really good discussion. So you'll find more information about the session uh, on excelix.com. We hope to see you there. And then Greg, if you'll forward one more time. After I close the webinar, wait for just a couple of seconds and the survey link will appear. So please hold on for that. We'd really appreciate it if you can complete the survey. Your feedback helps us keep the webinar content relevant and helpful. And everyone who completes the survey gets a copy of today's presentation, including Greg's ACA template. And if you'd like to receive a certificate of attendance, answer yes to that question on the survey. The full recorded webinar will be available on excelix.com within a day or two. You can see that there, A-C-C-E-L-I-X.com. And thank you to everyone who has attended these webinars this year. Best wishes for the remainder of this year, and we all look forward to seeing you again in 2021. So that concludes today's presentation. Thank you for joining us, Frederick and Greg. It was such a pleasure having you on the show today. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. And that's it for today. We hope to see you next time. Bye-bye for now.